This show is brought to you by my friends at Alliance and Trust. In wild times like these, you need more than financial product salespeople. You need a firm that looks at the entirety of your life and helps you with strategies that coordinate all disciplines of good stewardship so you can manage wisely what God has given you and thrive in these times of chaos and confusion. Have a team that acts as consultants in the business of you. Let Alliance and Trust help you plan for what's next. To learn more and get your free copy of Alliance and Trust's book on financial stewardship, Wisdom Before Wealth, visit friendofbrice.com or call 805-371-8020. going to be in um, Numbers 30, which if you've had problems sleeping lately, this one will cure your insomnia. (laughs) If you need a Bible, raise your hands. These folks will give you one. Numbers 30. This is um, out of our anchored reading series. We've all been reading the Bible together two years through the Bible. and, And of course, this week we've been in Numbers and also John. I was contemplating what passage of scripture to cover and Numbers 30 just jumped out at me and I was really blessed by it. And you'll think, why? (sighs) At first reading, I did too. I'm like, why, Lord? Um, But it it, it ministered to me and I believe it will to you as well. The, The process for how I came about Numbers 30 was as usual through the course of events that uh, have transpired since the last time I was with you. Uh, I went to Texas um, and I did an interview on Daystar Television. Oh, thank you. The, the eight of you who saw, no, it, it wasn't live. They're going to tell us when it's going to broadcast. But um, the woman who owns Daystar, I had the chance to have lunch with her. And I remembered the story as I was sitting there um, that her husband had passed. And he was standing in opposition to the demands of the, of the shot being given to being forced upon employees or losing your job. He was pro-ivermectin and, um, you know, budesonide and Z-packs and, and stood the line with many of the frontline doctors. And having a television station, he was ridiculed and mocked. Uh, and he would die, not from COVID, but with COVID. And let me explain the difference. When I was brought before the judge on contempt charges for keeping the church open during COVID, in, in Ventura at the time, there were a little over 100 deaths attributed to COVID. And, and we watched the numbers every day. I mean, anyone that did, oh, another died of COVID, COVID, COVID. And... We did a FOIA, a Freedom of Information request, and I told the judge, I said, judge, of the little over 100 deaths in the county um, that have been attributed to COVID, only two of those people have died from COVID, a man in his 90s and a woman in her 80s. The rest died with COVID, and I'll, I'll explain. The youngest COVID death in our county recorded at the time was a man in his 40s who had died of a fentanyl overdose but tested positive for COVID. They called it a COVID death. A car accident with a man whose lungs were crushed. 
tested positive for COVID. It was a COVID death. This is, this is how they did it and to run up the numbers. They, they don't want to go to a discovery phase. They don't want any of that to happen. And we saw the numbers. And then we were told, well, the, the vaccine would cause immunity uh, from the disease, which we came to find out it didn't. And, and, and we would say, well, we're not sick. And they say asymptomatic people can still spread COVID, which isn't true. But they said asymptomatic people can spread COVID. And then we said, well, then what does the shot do? Well, the shot reduces the symptoms. So you're saying that the shot doesn't make us immune from COVID. It just makes us asymptomatic. Do you understand the double speak and the stupidity and all of that? And, and we watched a massive transference of funds and the legacy media, every commercial is big pharma selling something. And a lot of us are waking up rapidly and we're looking at it and saying, you know, this is, this is problematic. And as I sat, they did three things with me at Daystar. The first one was I sat with her and her son-in-law for an interview. And uh, they made me go in to get makeup on. And that took like four and a half days to... <laughs> I kept telling them, I got a face for radio. <laughs> she said, I'd, I'd laugh, but I've heard that so many times. I said, I'm sorry, it's a dad joke. But the interview, I didn't know where we were going to go or what we were going to talk about, and she wanted to talk about COVID. She wanted to talk about what we did as a congregation and how we defied uh, the tyranny and the lockdown orders and on and on and on. And, and she was emphatic, and I thought, what a brave woman. And her husband died, and, and they came after her, and she held this, this television station together, and it's flourishing. And then when we concluded that interview, um, she had me sit on the, a Christian version of The View. <laughs> it's all, all women and myself. So there's one thorn amongst many roses. And they were all delightful ladies, um, and they, they interviewed me, and we had a conversation. And then when we were finished, um, they made me stand on a mark in front of a camera, and they said, you have 15 minutes, just share. <laughs> so extemporaneously, and I'd prayed, I just spoke, and I, I, I sensed the presence of the Lord, and and I shared, and I finished right on the 15-minute mark. And they said, you didn't use any notes. You didn't have any slides. You didn't. I, I just said, the, the topic is so critical. It's something that's ingrained. It's, it's as though, you know, I have a guitar, and I have one note I play. Bing, bing. But I play that note really well. And, and then we had lunch together and talked some more and prayed. And, and then I came home. And the next day, I, uh, a bucket list item for me. I mean, if I'm to be taken home to be with the Lord, uh, I have accomplished something. I got to spend time with a, an earthly hero. His name is Michael Knowles. He is a New York Times bestseller author with two books. And he was, uh, I think, co-founder of Daily Wire. I'm not sure exactly, but he, um, he's brilliant, Yale-educated, um, smart as a whip, 
when he would talk, it, I, I say this, but he laughed, but it's true. I'd get stretch marks on my brain. It was like being with Charlie Kirk. It's just, you know, and I'm trying to put a face on like, oh, mm-hmm, sure, I understand that, but I don't understand any of that. And he's quoting Dante from memory. I'm like, who's Dante? But uh, it, it's, it was called the book club. And Prager University had asked me to come and be his guest on the book club where they assign you a book to read and then you talk about it together. God knows this is the truth. I had never read a book cover to cover until my junior year of college. I was a student athlete. I majored in eligibility. I I didn't... And, and now they're going to assign me a book. And, and, and I remember when I'd, I'd be in class in high school and the book report would be due. And I'm like, I, I don't even know. I, didn't, I, don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know. <laughs> and I got to college and I had a roommate. His name was John Overstreet. And he, he was studious. He'd do his homework. And we had built a loft in our dorm and the desks were below and the bed was up top and his light would be on late at night. He'd study and grind. I'm sound asleep, like whatever. And, and he said, I remember when finals week would come, Rob, I'd, I'd get some rest because he'd already done his studying. So he'd go to get some sleep so he could do well on his finals. And I'd come rolling in at about 11 p.m. and I'd, I'd turn on the desk lamp and he, he said, you know, you woke me up and I could hear the sound of a new book opening <laughs> and, and the smell of, of new pages. And, and I would just read as much as I could and then just run to class and try to retain whatever it is I read and write an essay. And you know what? I passed. So, uh, but then to sit down, I was scared to death what book they'd assign. And uh, Dana, who uh, runs it, she said, um, Michael wants to discuss the Sermon on the Mount. I'm like, that's, that's three chapters of Matthew, five, six, and seven. Okay, I can do that. And I've actually read it. And, and I actually got so excited, I, I read it probably 15 more times. And we sat down, and it was, it was such a, a powerful time together. Um, Michael's Catholic, and it was a seamless conversation, and it was filled with great joy. And, and the film crew, you could tell, they were really getting into it. And there was times where you'd have to cut the filming because they were giggling or they were, like, you know, moved by it. But I, I thought about the Beatitudes. And don't worry, it ties in with Numbers 30 because in chapter 5 of Matthew, it says, In seeing the multitudes, Jesus went up on a mountain, and when he was seated his disciples came to him and then he opened his mouth and taught them saying blessed which means oh how happy oh how happy are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God you come to God empty Lord in me I, I'm, I'm tired of this I can't do it and, and it's when you're broken that God makes you whole and God's in the business of reducing you to a minimum that he might pour in his maximum and you mourn your sinful condition and you're comforted And then it says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. A meekness is like a bit in a horse's mouth. It's strength under control. This massive stallion's being moved by a piece of metal as the master pulls on the right or the left or however he would do that. 
and meekness, they inherit the earth. And I thought to myself, and I said this, and it came out of nowhere. And it was one of those moments where Michael's like, wow. I said, the meekness inheriting the earth, religious separatists were kicked out of their country in England and ostracized and ridiculed. And they ended up inheriting America. And I thought, I gotta record, that was good. But the passage concludes, at least at the beginning of, of the Beatitudes, it says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then it says, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Great is your reward in heaven. And, and I, I, I still giggle at the idea of rejoice and be exceedingly glad. About what? That you're persecuted. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. And they're going to speak falsely about you. And you're like, I don't know about that. But then when I got to Numbers 30, and I began to read, it occurred to me how critical this passage is to us today. We're in a very precarious place as a nation, and the church is in a lot of trouble. I was blessed to hear this week that there's 1,200 pastors signed up for the Turning Point Pastor Summit in Nashville this week. Michelle and I leave tomorrow for Seattle where we're gonna do a study there of a group of people who've been tuning into the broadcast and have longed to meet us. And one couple has gone on two trips to Israel, never attended the church, but they call it their church and they went to Israel with us two times. And so we promised we'd go and do their Bible study. So we're going to head up there. And then straight from Seattle, we're going to go to Nashville. Now, I want to tell you, 1,200 pastors, pastors and their wives, but it's 85% pastors. That's a remarkable number considering most of them were pastors that didn't want anything to do with turning point. Yeah, they're too political. There's a shift happening in America, and the church is starting to wake up to its responsibility. And it's real bad. So, with that being said, with Numbers 30, let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. I'll read out loud if you'll follow along silently. And for those of you who are new, I'd like us to stand for the reading of the word of the Lord because it's living and it's breathing and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And it's the only book in the world where we don't read it, it reads us. And I want you to know how significant it is, so that's why we stand. We sit for the word of the teacher, because my words in comparison to his are tragically and woefully uh, inadequate. But his, what you hold in your hand, if you're not devouring it and reading it, you need to. 
Your life will be forever changed. I can't tell you what it's done to my life just to read the word of God. It's, it'll give you wisdom and direction in a time where there doesn't seem to be any. Honor this word. Read it. Read it. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Amen? Amen. I'll read out loud. Then Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. The man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement. He shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Or if a woman makes a vow to the Lord and binds herself by some agreement while in her father's house in her youth, and her father hears her vow and the agreement by which she has bound herself, and her father holds his peace, then all her vows shall stand. And every agreement with which she has bound herself shall stand. But if her father overrules her on that day that he hears, then none of her vows nor her agreements by which she has bound herself shall stand, and the Lord will release her, because her father overruled her. If indeed she takes a husband while bound by her vows, or by a rash utterance from her lips by which she bound herself, and her husband hears it, and makes no response to her on the day that he hears, then her vows shall stand, and her agreement by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband overrules her on that day, he hears it, He shall make void her vow which she took and what she uttered with her lips by which she bound herself and the Lord will release her. Also any vow of a widow or a divorced woman by which she has bound herself shall stand against her. If she vowed in her husband's house or bound herself by an agreement with an oath and her husband heard it and made no response to her and did not overrule her, then all her vows shall stand. And every agreement by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband truly made them void on the day he heard them, then whatever proceeded from her lips concerning her vows or concerning the agreement binding her, it shall not stand. Her husband has made them void, and the Lord will release her. And every vow and every binding oath to afflict her soul, her husband may confirm it, and her husband may make it void. Now if her husband makes no response whatever to her from day to day. Then he confirms all her vows or all the agreements that bind her. And he confirms them because he made no response to her on the day that he heard them. But if he does not make them void after he has heard them, then he shall bear her guilt. Lord, we ask your blessing upon the study of your word. God, it doesn't return void Father, especially for our brothers and sisters tuning in via the internet, Lord, that they would find great solace and joy in your word and to call it a place of fellowship, though they're separated by distance, longing to hear truth and to be strengthened by it. Lord, we we ask your blessing upon them. They are part of the fellowship. And we recognize them and we thank them. And Lord, for those who are present in this room and the warmth of the ecclesia, the joy of fellowshipping with the saints, God, we're here for one reason, your word that doesn't return void, that we will be renewed by the transforming of our mind 
that the mind that was in Christ Jesus would be in us, that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. There are many new here that don't know where to begin, but Lord, you know just where to meet them and how to speak to them. So may your spirit increase and may man's spirit decrease. Lord, let me not get in the way of what you want to do. And so, Lord, we pray that lives would be profoundly touched and changed for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have a seat, relax. In the Sermon on the Mount, uh, I think it's chapter six, the Lord says that you don't take a vow. And, and what he's referring to, and, and the Lord took vows. He didn't mean it that way. He just was pointing out, he was saying, when you say something, do it. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. I mean, the world would profoundly change if what you said you meant and what you said you did. I mean, as a minister, the hardest part about counseling people is to get to the truth. And people think they're telling the truth. They believe themselves to be telling the truth because they've, they've created a narrative in their head. And the more you dig down, the more it unravels. And, and only when you get to the truth will the truth set you free. When we're honest with God, he's merciful with us. But if we're trying to preserve our ego with deception... We have nothing but heartache, heartache awaiting us. Jesus didn't say, don't take a vow. I took a vow 33 years ago. As a minister, I, people say, you married us. I go, I didn't marry you. You married each other. I officiated. I thought you'd laugh at that. <laughs> I stopped counting at two, 200 weddings, and that was back in San Jose, and I've been here 21 years. I've memorized it. Dearly beloved, we're gathered here today in the presence of God to join together this man and this woman in the holiest state of marriage. Marriage ordained by God in the time of man's innocency is not to be entered into unadvisedly or lightly, but soberly, reverently, and discreetly. It's into this estate that these two persons present now come to be joined. And I ask, who gives this woman to be married to this man, her mother and I? And then it's time to take vows. Please repeat after me. I, so-and-so, take you, so-and-so, to be my lawful wedded husband. I promise to love you, honor you, cherish you, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poor, for better or worse, and forsaking all others, I promise to keep myself only for you so long as we both shall live. And there's an exchange of that commitment. They do an earthly gift that represents that vow made out of a precious metal, of purity, which is typically a gold ring or a band, and they've made a vow before God. And it concludes by saying, what God has brought together, let no man separate. Boom. Even in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about divorce. There's, there's two grounds for divorce in the scriptures, adultery and abandonment of marriage by a non-believing spouse. They just wanted to leave and there was nothing you could do about it and they had, didn't want anything to do with your faith. 
The apostle Paul had been married. His wife left him. We know that to be the case. And God hates divorce. It's not the unpardonable sin, but God hates it because it rips families apart. And children are devastated by it. Anyone in this room who has experienced divorce, whether in your own marriage or that of your parents, you know what it's done and you know how much it hurts. There's never a good way to go about it. And that's why God wants us to keep our word. Typically, marriage is destroyed because we think the other person is there to serve us. When in reality, they're not there to make us happy. The Bible says if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, be a servant of all. Well, we want our spouse to apply that, but we ourselves don't. If a man loses his life, only then will he gain it. The two become one flesh. Vows are permitted. Jesus, as I said in the Sermon on the Mount regarding oaths, was emphasizing telling the truth and being honest, not an absolute prohibition on oaths. The Bible shows us that oaths are permitted under certain circumstances if they're not abused and used as a cover for deception. Matter of fact, God, and I wrote a couple of these down, God himself swore oaths in Hebrews 6.13 and Luke 1.73. Jesus spoke under oath in a court, Matthew 26.63-64, and Paul made oaths. Romans 1, 9, 2 Corinthians 1, 23, Galatians 1, 20, and 1 Thessalonians 2, 5. So these vows that this woman makes uh, in this household, I like what one author wrote about verses 3 and 5 of what we read. If a woman makes a vow to the Lord and binds herself by some agreement while in her father's house in her youth and her father hears her vow and the agreement by which she has bound herself. Uh, and her father holds his peace. Then all her vows shall stand and every agreement with which she has bound herself, she'll stand. But if her father overrules her on that day that he hears, then none of the vows nor her agreements by which she has bound herself shall stand. And the Lord will release her because her father overruled it. You see, if the father holds his peace, the vow of the young woman is recognized and solidified. If the father overrules it by speaking up, then the vow is nullified. It's interesting if you look at verse four, and her father hears her vow and the agreement by which she has bound herself and her father, you see the A in parentheses? Well, that means says nothing to interfere. Like right now, nobody's saying anything. My week didn't end with the last story I told. My week ended yesterday when I was invited to go into the San Fernando Valley to Pastor Robert's church who wants to start a love life chapter. He asked me to come and speak. I don't do anything on Saturdays. But you want to defend babies, I'll do my best to be there. 
San Fernando Valley has one of the highest abortion rates of anywhere in California, and California leads the nation in abortion. I'm impressed with this man. There were three pastors there I met. I was surprised there weren't more. A lion's share of the people attending were from our church. They were there to encourage this attempt to start up a love life chapter to defend the life of the unborn. Part of my week included meeting with a really sweet pastor who was an executive pastor. I won't say his name or the church, but we hit it off. A really sweet man. We had much in common. And he said, you know, my pastor doesn't want anything to do with abortion and he doesn't want to do anything political. He, he won't even respond to a love life chapter. And, and, and the executive pastor proposed to the pastor, what if we did a, a sanctuary drop off for anyone who wanted to drop their baby off? He said, well, maybe I'll consider that, but I don't want to talk about it. I don't understand that. And, and some of you already are uncomfortable. Nobody wants to talk about it. Well, we're going to. And I'll, and I'll, and I'll tell you why. Not because I want to be rude and brash and dictatorial, but because of a very, very critical word. One I want to be ingrained in your mind. Tacit. Tacit. Expressed or carried on without words or speech implied or indicated as by an act or by silence, but not actually expressed tacit consent. You see, tacit means agreement by silence. Edmund Burke said, all that's necessary for evil to prosper is for good men and women to do nothing. Tacit. I travel the country and I ask people, how many of you took the shot because you believed in its efficacy? And very few hands are raised. I said, how many of you took the shot because you didn't want to lose your job? And the hands go up. Or you wanted to visit your grandkids, more hands go up. That's tacit submission to tyranny. I ask how many people in the room know someone who's died of COVID and died from, not with? Very few hands go up. How many of you know someone who has died from the shot or been severely injured in 30% of the room? But yet, no outcry, tacit submission. 72 injections are being put into our children in this state. Our children are being indoctrinated 
with a ravenous transgender agenda. Tacit submission. Being devastated by it. During the lockdowns, the church is the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. Our Holy Week, Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday, Holy Week. And the governor told the shepherds that the church was non essential. And they said nothing. That's called tacit submission. You don't want to make wakes. You don't want to cause problems. Pastor, the, the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. Yeah. Peace isn't the absence of conflict, but the presence of Christ in the midst of the conflict. It doesn't mean that you avoid conflict. You contend with evil every day. Why do we call them peace officers? They face conflict. The struggle is that in tacit submission when we're silent, we're in agreement. We're complicit. You've heard me share the illustration. Your child comes home from school. Mommy, daddy, all the kids in the school called Susie fat. But I didn't. You say, well, it's the moral thing to do, but where's your character? And then you say, well, what do you mean, mom? What do you mean, dad? Why didn't you speak up and tell the other children to stop it? You know why people are tacit? Because they're scared. They're scared. We read God's word where it says he hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. We love it. But then when it comes time to stand, it's as though our mouth is sealed. And please understand, I'm not here to condemn. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's times where I wish I had done more. I remember particularly in the airport one time, I reluctantly put on my mask and I felt shamed. As I was watching people that I admire get kicked off of airplanes. I felt like a coward. I know the feeling, we're all in the same boat. But I want you to know, like with the 1,200 pastors, the lion's share of who closed their doors and were tacit are now waking up. They're very similar to this man. Amen. 
They're very similar to this man. You may not recognize him by his picture, but you've heard of him. His name is Martin Niemöller. He was a World War I German U-boat officer. Highly decorated. Got the Iron Cross. He was a liberal theologian and a fascist nationalist. He believed Hitler was going to bring revival to the nation. He complied with all of the Nazis' dictates. He stood with Hitler in opposition to those churches that would say otherwise. And one day, he met a man. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer loved the Lord, left the United States to go back to Nazi Germany in an attempt to set the church in Germany free and to contend with a government that was destroying tens of millions of lives. Dietrich Bonhoeffer as a minister, and this one is hard to process. He participated in an assassination attempt against Hitler. I mean, put that one together theologically. And he did. In his writings, he didn't expect everyone to have the same faith or direction. He knew he was called to it. He said, I'm going to put a wrench in the system that's killing people created in the image of God. I'm going to stop this, even if it means losing my life. The man was fearless, and Niemöller was moved by his fearlessness and repented and joined the professing church, the confessing church, and was ultimately arrested. Niemöller lived, went on to write. Bonhoeffer was executed by Hitler in the last days of the war. One of the last directives he put forward before he shot Eva Braun and then shot himself in the bunker in Berlin. Bonhoeffer died. Bonhoeffer said these words, silence, tacit silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless not to speak and not to act is to act. Those words so moved Niemöller that he wrote a poem that was inscribed on Niemöller's tomb. Many of you have heard it. First they came for the communists and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. And then they came for the socialists and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. And then they came for the trade unionists and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. And then they came for the Jews and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. And then they came for me and there was no one left to speak out for me. Profound. At the end of the war, they gathered together the most evil of the Nazi regime. And they put them on trial 
for crimes against humanity. Six and a half million Jews gassed and incinerated, over 50 million dead. In a nation that once was the epicenter of the Protestant Reformation, they created principle number four, which is one that's important to understand, especially as we're watching our liberties erode. It was a main article in the Nuremberg trials, and it stated superior orders. The fact that a person acted pursuant to order of his government or of a superior does not relieve him from responsibility under international law provided a moral choice was in fact possible to him. The principle could be paraphrased as follows. It is not acceptable excuse to say I was just following my superior's orders. I had to get the shot my boss told me to. I'm gonna have to arrest you because the church isn't essential. I'm gonna have to close your gym. You know why police officers and military personnel are supposed to know the Constitution, though they don't? They swear to defend something they know nothing about. It's because it constrains them from turning on the populace. They're not allowed to weaponize government against the citizen. The governor has a lot of power, but he's not allowed to say the church is non-essential. It's the bride of Christ. And I said to my fellow pastors, the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. You're all married. I'm married, 33 years to Michelle. You wanna tell me she's non-essential? You'll be picking up your teeth with your broken arm. Where were the shepherds? We were submitting to the governor. But it's in violation of the Constitution he's constrained by. Ah, the Constitution, I don't read it. Ignorance is no excuse. You're a citizen of the United States. The Apostle Paul even knew the rights of Rome. I'm not political. Yes, you are. Everybody is. You you just choose to be tacit in your politics. You like to create ministries where you fish downstream of broken humanity that you've helped create by a government's malfeasance that you haven't spoken in opposition to. We have the highest unemployment, homelessness. Our immigration issues are overwhelming. What we're teaching our children, but we don't do politics. Yes, you do. Like I said, your politics are tacit. Your silent submission to tyranny has dictated your politics. This was so outlined in the Nuremberg trials to the most heinous of criminals the world has ever known. They wrote murder, extermination, enslavement, deportation, and other inhumane acts done against any civilian population 
or persecutions on political, racial, or religious grounds when such acts are done or such persecutions are carried on in an execution or in connection with any crime against peace or any war crime, leaders, organizers, instigators, and accomplices participating in the formulation or execution of a common plan or conspiracy to commit any of the foregoing crimes are responsible for all acts performed by any person in execution of such a plan. Deportation, enslavement, extermination, murder. You can write me off, and I'm okay with that, because I know what I say is from the scholarship and diligence I've done. This... This injection was deliberate and it's killing people. They're guilty. You look in New Zealand and Australia where they put non-vaccinated people in deportation camps. They took away their jobs, their livelihoods, inhumane acts against the civil population. Prosecution politically and racially They went after anyone who had a conscience that believed that their body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It was deliberate. Thus, under the Nuremberg Principle 4, defense of superiorities is not a defense for war crimes. Although it might be a mitigating factor that could influence a sentencing authority to lessen the penalty, Nuremberg Principle 4 states the fact that a person acted pursuant to order of his government or of a superior does not relieve him from responsibility under international law, provided a moral choice was in fact possible to him. I don't care how powerful the government is. We as Christians are accountable to God and his moral law. And any government that attempts to rise above the power of God will ultimately be destroyed. As you see, the most powerful of the heinous on trial in Nuremberg. And there to the top, you see Hermann Goering, who would commit suicide. This colonel killed 160 commandos in uniform by directive of Adolf Hitler. And tried to defend himself by saying he was following orders and he was executed. This is the only color picture we have of the Nuremberg trials where you see them guarded by American personnel as they're all facing trial. So moved was the world and the American military that the American military dictated. American military law states that an order can only be disobeyed if it is unlawful. The My Lai Massacre. My son's in the military. Go kill that hamlet of children. No. The FBI informants. Now I got news for you. You tell your superior officer that you're not going to do what he's telling you to do because it's immoral and it's wrong and it's unlawful. You are a junior officer and you may be a whistleblower and guess what's gonna happen to you? 
The IRS is gonna remove all investigators. The DOJ is gonna remove the investigators. They're gonna leave you hanging in the wind. Blessed are you. Exceedingly happy. When they revile you and say all kinds of evil for my name's sake, for great is your reward in heaven. You see, the hotbed of Christendom and the birthplace of the Reformation and the home of Martin Luther in 1934 had a drastic transformation to evil. From 1934 on, the German military oath was sworn to Hitler himself and it contained a clause that promised unconditional obedience. That rule was taken seriously during the lead up to World War II and the conflict itself. At least 15,000 German soldiers were executed. They stood and said, no. Blessed are you and oh, how happy. They were executed for desertion and up to 50,000 were killed for Minor acts of insubordination, an unknown number were summarily executed often in the moment by their officers or comrades when they refused to follow commands. Hitler seemed unstoppable. And the way that this regime operated is similar to today. The Nazis crushed opposition through legal moves, fear and intimidation, propaganda, social control kept the population in line. And you know how they keep you in line? Just don't say anything. They teach you how to do tacit submission. Historian David Kitterman on a group of 135 German soldiers who refused orders to kill Jews, POWs or hostages showed they suffered beatings and death threats for defying their superiors, but none were executed, although insubordination was taken seriously. Excuses that soldiers had just been obeying orders when they participated in the Holocaust, atrocities weren't entirely true. Silence in the face of evil is complicit with evil itself. It's tacit submission. Who's the voice for the voiceless? The children can't speak. Help me here. In the womb of a pregnant woman, What is it? So we got some good answers. You're washing dishes at the sink. You're looking out your window. Maybe a view of Mount Boney. And your two young sons, nine and eight, fighting all day, irritating as boys can be. They come up behind you and they say, one of them says, can I kill this? First word out of your mouth. What is it? It's a cockroach. <laughs> Step on it. <laughs> but if the answer is my little brother. <laughs> Sperm and an egg come together, it's a zygote. It's not going to grow to be a unicorn or a dolphin. <laughs> it's the smallest form of a human being. You can call it a blob of tissue or a fetus. Interestingly enough, the word fetus in Latin means baby. 
You say, well, it's too small. So small people are less valuable than larger people? You have no argument there. That's stupid. Well, it's its level of development. It's not fully developed. So you're saying, again, a little child who's not fully developed is less valuable than somebody who's a fully grown adult? And you get to kill him? No, no, that doesn't hold up. Well, it's its environment. It's in its mother's womb. Where I am has no bearing on my worth. Just the same person behind this wooden stand as I am when I'm at my house. Their other argument is, well, it's dependent on the mother to live. That's true. So you're telling me that you're allowed to kill someone who is dependent on oxygen to live? It's my body, my choice. Well, the problem is it's not your body. You have a body in your body. Separate DNA. Soul. Now we know this. And yet, 1.2 million abortions have happened already this year. 186 abortions per 1,000. One in five. And this is the Guttmacher Institute. This is a very liberal organization. You, you could probably increase this by 30 or 40% because they don't include New York and California, which are the highest abortion states. So it means for every five people, there's one missing because of abortion. 18% of pregnancies end in abortion. 46% of abortions are committed on women less than 25 years of age. Approximately one quarter of American women have had an abortion by the age of 45. Interestingly enough, abortion, because of Margaret Sanger, who was a eugenicist, she wanted to get rid of what she called the Negro problem. They give out the Maggie Awards every year, which is so nauseating. Abortion disproportionately affects black and Hispanic women. Black women make up 4 to 6% of America's population, meaning childbearing black females. Yet they're responsible for almost 40% of the abortions. The birth rate in the black community used to be over 7%, and now it's below 2%. And in 20 years, if this continues, you're going to have to go to the Smithsonian Institute to see a black American. And you tell me black lives matter? When BLM supports Planned Parenthood and vice versa, and the pastors in their tacit submission wanted to comply with the culture and posted the black tile, but when Roe v. Wade was overturned, there wasn't a peep out of them. I don't believe you. But there's hope in all of this, an encouragement for each of us. The monsters that did what they did in Nazi Germany, there was a Lutheran minister who was a chaplain in the United States Army by the name of Henry Garrick. He wrote a book, Mission at Nuremberg, where he went in and sought to minister to the darkest of these 
despotic human beings. Fritz Sockel, Wilhelm Kettle, Hermann Goering, Alfred Rosenberg, Wilhelm Frick, and Joachim Ribbentrop. Of the six that are in that picture, three of them repented and asked God to forgive them and prayed to receive Christ. The other three mocked him and died in their sin. My point is this. There's no condemnation coming from this stand in this mouth. Everyone in the room's been affected by abortion. I get it. We know somebody or a family's been affected by it. I'm not here, if you've had an abortion, I'm not here to condemn you. God has cast your sin as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. All I'm saying is let's stop being tacit and let's start being vocal. If you're tacit, it's because you're afraid and there's no condemnation. You have a story to tell. God wants to use it together for good and he's gonna take your ashes and he's gonna turn it to beauty. Philippians says, brethren, I do not count myself to have laid hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Look, your past is behind you, your future's ahead of you. God has cleansed your sins as far as east is from the west to be remembered no more. Today is a day we stop being tacit. If we're honest with God, he's merciful with us. He wants us to be that voice. We will not be a morally silent people. Almost finished. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If this has struck a, a chord with you and it's a wound that you haven't visited or one you've tried to forget, if you just let God know, and confess it. He forgives you. And he cleanses you of all unrighteousness. Or you can live in the shame. And fight against his purpose. To be a voice for the voiceless. Let him set you free. 1 John 2.12 I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. 1 John 2, 20 and 21, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. I've not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. You see, folks, we're Christians. Our yes is yes, our no is no. We speak the truth and when we speak, we're not tacit, we're not silent. And it doesn't matter the consequences of standing for the truth because we're no longer afraid. And until we do that, the world will be enslaved by the evil that's growing. And we've been chosen for such a time as this. What a noble calling.
So Numbers 30 wasn't that boring. <laughs> You're all awake. Let's have the worship team come on up. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word which doesn't return void. Thank you, Lord, for the realization of an oath and also just to see in the father of his daughter that if he did not open his mouth, he was consenting. But if he spoke, he stood in opposition. Lord, you have called us to be a mouthpiece for the voiceless. You've called us to stand for truth, that the, they would know the truth and the truth would set them free. Lord, we know that as we stand upon these principles, you say that we will be blessed when we're reviled and persecuted and when they say all kinds of evil against us falsely for your sake, that we are to rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is our reward, not on this earth, no, no, but in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Lord, what a privilege to be a disciple of the God of all creation. Lord, let us not be ashamed nor cower in tacit submission. Bless your people these brave men and women. Lord, give them the courage to stand. And then also, Lord, the peace that comes with knowing that even when we fail, when we're honest with you, you're merciful with us and you just say, forget what's behind. Let's get up, dust yourself off. We got work to do. We're in it together. Thank you, Lord, for the way in which you've developed this body of believers. Thank you, Lord, for blessing my life with their encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching or listening to this episode of The Bryce Eddy Show. Hey, we need your help. We have a special call to action. Please subscribe to our new Rumble channel, The Bryce Eddy Show. If you've been consuming this on our church website or church channel, Go ahead and subscribe to us on Rumble. We need to build those numbers there for that new dedicated channel. For your convenience, we have a link in the description below.